hope resurrected. That's what we're going to talk about today. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. If you have your Bible open to Romans chapter 8, and read a few verses with me, Romans 8, we'll begin in verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. I don't want you to miss that. I want to read that verse again. I want you to catch this. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed, not to us, but in us. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul penned these words, Christ in you the hope of glory. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Hope. I want to talk today about hope. We live in a world that struggles to find and to offer hope. Last week, I was privileged to spend 48 hours on the streets of downtown Austin with the homeless. And in those 48 hours, living among the homeless, I saw hundreds of people struggling to find hope, um, struggling to keep hope alive, struggling to even offer hope uh, to others. Hope for their basic needs, hope for a different future hope to climb out of the hole that they find themselves in. It was a struggle for hope, a constant struggle for hope. When you lose hope, you lose the will, the motivation, and the determination to go on. When you lose hope, you don't want to get up in the morning. You don't want to go on. Hope. But I also witness people finding hope in the smallest of things, hanging on to hope by the thinnest of threads, and offering hope to others out of their greatest need. One of the most astounding things I think that I experienced in that 48 hours was the people that I met in absolute desperate need that were willing to offer hope to me and share with me out of their greatest 
in most desperate need. That was pretty amazing to me. I didn't have one person ask me for money. Actually, I had one guy ask me for a quarter because someone told him I had four quarters. That's all I took with me was four quarters and my picture ID. And I told him, I said, well, I've got four quarters. He said, I only need one. (laughs) It's hope that what is unseen and unattained now will be one day. Do Do you hear that? It's hope that what is unseen and unattained now will be one day. Hope keeps our dreams alive and keeps us anchored. But here's the reality. If we are without Christ, we are without hope and we are without God. Ephesians 2.12 says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. Jesus said it in another way. He said, what profit is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his own soul? If we put our hope in food, clothing, houses, money, the things of this world, we may gain all of those things in this world. But if we don't gain Christ, if we don't have Christ, if we are without Christ, we are without hope. It was funny, some of the people I met on the street understood that very clearly. Would they like to have a home? Sure. Would they like to not be in the situation they're in? Absolutely. But it was surprising to me how many I was able to get to meet and talk to that understood this very basic principle that I have God, and I know God will take care of me. Not that I like my situation or I revel in my situation, but this is where I find myself, but my hope is in God the only hope. Some of them recognize it's the only hope they have. That God is the only hope they have because they don't have a home to hope in. They don't have a job to hope in. They don't have any money to hope in. But they're not without hope because they recognize they're not without God if they are in Christ. And I think about all the people that have homes and jobs and bank accounts and all of these things and are very hopeful for their future because they seem to have all of these things, but they don't realize that they're without hope because they are without Christ. And so we find that oftentimes we put our hope in things. We make things the subject of our hope. So the hope we place in the things of this world is empty and fleeting at best. We live in a culture that offers hope that ultimately is empty. Now think about this. The culture dangles this proverbial carrot before our eyes. So if you watch TV, there's commercial. What are all the, think about all the commercials you watch. I don't care whether it's a car commercial or a 
food commercial or a clothing commercial, they all appeal to what part of us? They're not appealing to our spirit. They're all appealing to our flesh. They're all giving us hope that we can be something that we're not. Boy, if you could just drive this car, you could be something that you're not. If you could just wear these clothes, maybe I could look some way that I don't look right now. I mean, we have this carrot that's dangling before us. And so through various things, we hope to become more attractive, more successful, more happy, more accomplished. We hope to be more tomorrow than we are today through the various products and means that are constantly being marketed to us with the promise that what we hope will someday be. Those are temporal vanities. Those things appeal to our temporal nature, or the Bible calls it the flesh. And they're vanity. And so these temporal vanities of the flesh provide only the illusion of hope because they are not anchored in something that is fixed and immovable. I've come to the conclusion, I've never done it, and here's why. I've come to the conclusion that no matter how much Rogaine I put on top of my head, I'm still basically going to be bald. And I really don't care. I told him when I got off the street, I said, man, my hair hadn't been this long in years. And really, it hadn't. They're not anchored in something that's fixed and immovable. They move with the wind and they eventually bring us crashing on the very shores that we're trying to avoid. Take that drug, eat that herb, drive that car, wear those clothes. Sin is still doing its work. The fallenness of this world is still dragging those things that are of this world down. But the Bible says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Paul the Apostle writes this. He says, the outward man is perishing day by day, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. There is a transformation that's taking place. Now, the question is, do you have eyes to see it? Do you know it? Because if we only look at the outward We'll be tricked, we'll be deceived, and we'll think that there is not a transformation taking place, or if there is one taking place, it's going in the wrong direction. Because it seems like the more I look in the mirror, the older I get, the more wrinkled I get. Frankie, bless his heart, bought me a, a, a membership to the gym. I, they call it 24-hour fitness, I call it 24-hour torture. And it didn't take me long the first week, the first week at the gym. Now, he signed me up for these classes. Cause, and I, I said, man, if I wasn't in that class, there's no way I'd even come close to doing to myself what that teacher does to me. I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't push myself that way. But, you know, you're in a class and you, you don't want to be the wimp, right? So you don't want to, like, bail out. So you, you stand there and you let them torture you for an hour. And after the first week, it's like, man, my body was so broken down, seriously, I couldn't even hardly walk. 
My legs hurt so bad, and they were like rubber bands. I mean, just to step off this platform, I, I would have had to work really hard not to fall down when my, my foot hit the ground and my knee bent because I had no strength. But you know what? Man, the next week it got better. And then when I spent that 48 hours on the street, I had walked so much in my entire life. I said, if I walk 10 miles, I bet that's a low estimate. You think you're on the street and you're just going to sit around and do nothing all day? We walked all day long. Because you're walking to get what you need. You need breakfast, you're going to have to walk for it. Then you go eat breakfast, and then about four miles on the other side of town is lunch. So guess what? About the time you get through eating breakfast and you sit there for a little bit, you better start walking for lunch because you're going to have to get in line, or you're going to be waiting all day, or you might miss out. Then you go and you walk way on the other side to eat lunch, and then after lunch, you've got to walk way to the other side. To We just walked all the time. But you realize, and the outward man is perishing, but the Scripture says the inward man is being renewed. Listen, it doesn't matter how often. If I went to the gym seven days a week, you know what? I'm still going to get old and die. I might delay it. I might make things better than they could be. But the reality is, this body, barring the return of Jesus Christ, And even at his return, this is going away. This flesh is going to pass away because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So if we make things the subject of our hope, we put our hope in these temporal vanities. We're putting our hope in things that are fleeting. They're not fixed. They're they're moving all over the place. We only deceive ourselves into thinking that we've really found hope in something. And this is what happens when things become the subject of our hope. Now, here's the reality. Things must not be the subject of our hope. What we need to do is come to understand that God, we need to know that God is the author of our hope. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is not the subject of our hope. He is the author of our hope. He's the God of hope. There is no hope apart from Him. You understand? He's not the thing I'm putting my hope in. He's not the subject of my hope. He is the author of hope. This is why Paul says, hey, when you were in the world without Christ, you were without hope and you were without God. Why? Because God is the author of hope. He's not simply the subject. He's He is the God of hope. That means he is the author, the originator, the source of our hope. Our hope must come from the author of hope, who is the God of hope. If we put our hope in him, if he is our hope, then we've put our hope in. Our hope is anchored in something fixed, 
and immovable. He is the God that does not change. In him there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, the scripture declares. But the world is being tossed to and fro. Just just look at our culture. I always tell people, I said, don't throw your clothes away, just keep them. Because if you keep them long enough, they'll come back into style. And that's the truth. Why? Because this, this thing is just blowing everywhere. It's just moving everywhere. That's not God. God is immovable. He is fixed. He is the rock. So we must come to know God as the author of hope. And in Christ, the hope we have is fixed. It's immovable. The hope being offered by the world is not the hope we have in Christ. Worldly hope is fleeting and subject to the things, the things of this world that are constantly changing with the whims and fancy of man. Our hope is in Christ. It's anchored and it's authored by God. He is the rock and he is fixed and immovable. He's the ground that we can anchor to that holds fast as the wind and the currents around us seek to move us. But if our our hope is anchored in him, they can't move us. They won't move us. He provides a hope that holds is the anchor of our soul. This is the hope that's authored by God and found only in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 19 writes this, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever. Where is your hope this morning? What is your hope anchored in? You know, I grew up on the coast, and we fish almost every weekend that we could. And there were some places where you go out there, and if you wanted to fish out, for instance, in the channel or in deeper water, in some some of those places you've got currents of water flowing through there, and so depending on where you are, if you're going to sit in one spot and fish, you've got to have an anchor that holds. Now, the only problem is it would all depend on the ground that you're trying to anchor in. And sometimes we couldn't find ground that could hold us because the current was just too strong. So then we would just have to pull up the anchor and we'd just get on one end and let the current take us and we'd, we'd drift with the current. Then we'd drift too far, we'd, we'd go back and we'd keep doing that. Because there was no way, because the anchor wouldn't hold us. Listen, the hope we have in Christ is the anchor of our soul. The ground that we're anchored to, the rock that we're anchored to is fixed. It's immovable. Christ is the hope we have that's fixed and immovable. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has begotten us again to a living hope. Peter writes these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So by grace through faith in Christ, we have hope 
But even more, the scripture declares that we have a living hope. Why do you think Peter wrote those words? Not just that we have hope, but we have a living hope. Listen what the word declares, that God has begotten us again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has begotten us to a living hope. The resurrection paves the way for us to be partakers of Christ's life. It's not sufficient that Christ just died for us in order that our sins might be forgiven. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, then we are of all men most pitiable. Because if there is no resurrection, if Christ was not resurrected, that means the Father did not accept the atonement that was offered by the blood of His Son. We know that the Father accepted the atonement offered by the blood of His Son because the Son was risen. He came out of the grave. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. The very fact of his resurrection declares to us that the Father accepted the atonement that the blood of Christ offered for us. And because Christ lives, we live. But we don't live apart from him. We only live in him. So the resurrection paves the way for us to be partakers of Christ's life. Our hope is authored by God and it is provided through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Through Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, the Holy Spirit was then poured out into the hearts of his children by grace through faith. Look what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Now, that all depends on where we put our hope, doesn't it? Because I can honestly tell you today that there are a lot of things that I hoped for in life that disappointed me. But I also came to realize that ultimately, my hope was misplaced. And oftentimes, my hope was placed in something that fell short of of what it should have been placed in because ultimately we must place our hope in Him because He is our hope, because He is the author of hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God was poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want you to think about that for a minute, church. 
Now, hope does not disappoint, for the love of God was poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. What has God withheld from us? Nothing. How do we know that? Because he has given us his very spirit. He has poured love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. This little letter, 1 John, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loveth belongs to God, for God is love. God is love. God has, or we could say it like this, God has poured himself into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. What has God withheld from us? He has poured himself into our hearts. He has given himself to us. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose from the dead. He poured out his spirit so that he could pour himself into our hearts. What has he withheld from us? Why are we without hope? We are not without hope if we are in Christ. We are not without hope if we are those whom God has poured himself into. Hope does not disappoint. For the child of God, for the believer, hope does not disappoint. Any disappointment we have as believers is only temporary. If I can say it like that. Because one day when this all passes away, when this temporal, when these vanities pass away, we're going to understand in a way that we cannot understand now. We're going to see in a way that we cannot see now. We will know in a way that we cannot know now. And we will understand that we were never without hope. Never without hope. In our darkest, deepest pit of despair, we are never and we were never without hope. When we were in the world without God, we were without hope. But God, in his mercy, while we were dead in trespass and sin, he made us alive together with him. We are not without hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has begotten us again to a living hope. It is the Spirit that makes it possible for us to know Him and to be known by Him. It is the work of the Spirit through the resurrection life of Christ that causes us to be born again and to become partakers of His divine nature. It is because of the resurrection that we can utter these words. And only because of the resurrection can we utter these words. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Whether you feel, whether you believe, whether you know, if Christ is in you right now, you have 
the hope of glory. And hope does not disappoint because God has poured himself out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because of the resurrection, there is always hope resurrected. We have a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a fixed and immovable hope as an anchor of the soul in Christ. God is the author of hope. He is the very God of hope. When things of this world become the subject of our hope, hope floats away because it's not anchored in anything that is fixed and immovable. So our hope becomes relative and subject to the whims and the fancies of the wind that blows us to and fro. The world is struggling to find hope. The world is struggling to offer hope. In Christ, we can know and we can offer hope to those in this world struggling without the author of hope. Amen? So I want to encourage you to pray that you would come to know more fully each day. Christian, listen to me. Pray that you would come to know more fully each day in spirit and in truth the author of hope in the living and eternal hope that he has given you in Christ. I didn't say to work to become more acceptable to him because you cannot become more acceptable to him. I didn't say read and study and memorize your Bible because if you do, you'll be God's good buddy. No, you won't be. You're not God's good buddy because you read and study your Bible. You are acceptable to him. You are beloved by him because of his grace and because of his grace alone and nothing else. I don't care how many times you have failed. I don't care how many times you have fallen I don't care how many mistakes you have made repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly again. And the enemy has come and whispered in your ear and said, God could never love you. God could never accept you. You have no hope because you're a failure. And you screw up every time you try. Just stop trying. Now that's the lie from the pit of hell. Because God didn't save you and God didn't pour himself into you and God didn't love you because you had it all together before you ever tried, before you ever wanted to try, before you ever even knew that God was someone that you wanted. He loved you. He gave you his grace. He made you accepted in the beloved. It wasn't anything you did. It was everything he did. And there was nothing you will do To make that happen, to keep that, to live up to that, what you must do is fall broken on the rock and accept the grace of God. And I don't care how many times you screw up, you are not without hope because hope is resurrected because Christ has been resurrected. Hope is risen because he is risen and his grace is And his love and his mercy endures forever. And it is new every morning. Pray that you would come to know more fully the author of your hope.
pray that you would increasingly see and know Christ in you, the hope of glory. Pray that you would see him through the window of his word by the power of his spirit. We don't look through a window to see the window. We look through a window to see what is inside. We look through the window to see what is inside. That's why I say this book, these words can become an idol to you if you are only looking at these words. This is where people get into legalism. And these words become an idol. They never see through the window to what this word, this word is a window. It's it's there that we can look through it and see what is inside. But if you are only looking at the words and not through the words to see what's inside them, you're going to be so bound up in legalism and moralism And you're going to be deceived by your enemy to think that your legalism and your moralism is going to gain you something. And it gains you nothing but death. Because the prophet wrote, your good works are an abomination. They are like filthy, rotten, stinking, abominable rags to me. I can't tell you what that word really means. It's not an appropriate time or place. But let me just tell you, it was graphic what the prophet declared. Our good works are to God. Now pray that you would see through the window of his word by the power of his spirit that the word of God is the window we look through to see Christ. And as we look into his word, our prayer is that the spirit of God would reveal Christ as the living and eternal word. We are not looking at the words. We are looking through the words to see Christ, who is the word living and powerful. Amen. Pray that those around you would come to know the author of hope and that they too would find that living hope in Christ. Pray God would open their blind eyes to see Christ by the Spirit. Pray and purpose to be obedient to the command to be and to make disciples. Pray that all of you are and all that you do would be born out of his love. His love to you, his love in you, his love through you, his love making known to all men that you are his disciples. Paul said, without love, I am nothing. We started in Romans chapter 8. We will finish in Romans chapter 8. If we go back there. I want to read starting in verse 18, but I want to continue reading because I want you to catch I want you to catch the thought of the Apostle Paul as he penned this letter, as he communicated these truths to the believers in Rome. He wrote this letter to them, but he wrote it for us. Paul didn't know us, but God did. Paul didn't write it to us. He wrote it to those believers in Rome, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit for us today. 
Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now I'll continue the thought. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He is risen. Hope is resurrected. Amen. I want you to notice something in those verses that's very important. Now, I encouraged you in seven areas to pray. And in any one of those areas, we could say, how do I do that? Pray that you would come to know more fully each day in spirit and in truth, the author of hope and the living and eternal hope that he's given you in Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Do you desire it? How many of you like ice cream? Okay. How many of you can honestly say, think of your most favorite ice cream flavor or dish or creation? And how many of you could say, as I sit here and I imagine my favorite ice cream creation, if you don't like ice cream, just pick whatever it is you like. 
as you sit here and you imagine that most favorite dessert or whatever, now how many of you say, I desire that? Do you desire it? None of you? You don't want it? You don't desire it? Oh, man. Are you serious? You, as you think about your favorite ice cream, you like ice cream, you don't desire it? You, don't, you, you wouldn't want it right now? No? Who desires it? Who would desire it? Say, I, I, I don't have, listen, I don't have one for you to eat right now. I'm not, I'm not tricking you. I'm really, I'm not tricking you. Tell me how you desired that. How did you desire that? Tell me your, tell me your three-step, five-step, seven-step, ten-step, twelve-step process of desiring that thing that you can imagine. Tell me the formula you use to desire that bowl of tin roof Sunday. You just desired it, right? You thought about it, and it's like, I want it. There is no formula. This is my point. How are you going to do that? You desire it. Do you really desire it? Here's, here's why I read the rest of this verse out of Romans. Because Paul is talking about a hope. How are we going to find that hope? How are we going to see that hope? How are we going to know that hope? Are you going to make it happen? No, you're not. God is. How are you going to see these prayers come to pass? How are you going to do that? Pray. Okay, we'll pray. But when it gets right down to it, we don't really have a formula. We don't really have three, five, seven, ten, twenty-seven 10, 27 steps for you to do. I know lots of people like to write lots of books about all these steps, and we put everything into a process and a formula. But if we were really honest with ourselves, you could save yourself a lot of money on buying these formula books because there is no formula. Do you desire God? And if you do desire God, it's only because God put that desire in you. Do you realize that? Because the Bible says you didn't desire him and he died for you. You didn't love him, but he loved you first. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. You know why you desire God today? Because God loves you. If you desire God, that's proof positive that he loves you. Because you could not desire him first. He has to desire you first. Because you can't love him first. He loves you first. So do you desire him? Do you desire to know him in a deeper way? Well, how are you going to do that? Now, I could give you all kinds of practical advice. Yes, read your Bible, pray. Yes, yes, yes. But even at that, you know what's going to really cause that to happen? What's going to really cause that to happen is the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray. Anybody ever been there? I just don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. It's okay. You don't have to know how to pray. For we, ought, we don't know how we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit, but the Spirit, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It's not what you're uttering. When is the Spirit not making intercession on your behalf? Anybody, can anyone tell me that? Or let me ask it this way. When is the Spirit not making intercession on your behalf? Do you activate the Spirit? Is the Spirit dependent upon you to activate Him? Is the Spirit of God going, boy, if you just activate me, I could pray for you right now? I don't think so. 
Do you realize the height of pride and arrogance that is if we think we're the ones that have to activate the Spirit? No. This is, if I've got, listen, if the Spirit of God is dependent upon me to activate Him, that's not very hopeful for me. I don't know about you. I'm just going to speak for myself. I, I don't find a whole lot of comfort and hope in that if the Spirit of God is waiting on me. But what I see in the Word of God is that the Spirit of God is not waiting on me. Paul says, oh, You don't know how to pray? That's okay, because the Spirit in you is making intercession. Does the Spirit ever sleep? Does he ever get tired? Man, when I walked around the streets of Austin for two days, I can't tell you how tired I got. I took too many clothes. I carried too much stuff. I had had probably about 30 pounds of stuff I'm carrying around with me. And after you walk about 10 miles carrying about 30 pounds of stuff, you know, my back wasn't used to that, and... My feet weren't used to that, and, and I just got tired. We took a train ride, and I could not stay awake. I mean, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm trying to be cool, you know, not sitting there slobber all over myself. I'm like, I don't want to sit here on the train, you know, and look like I'm slobbering all over myself. But I was so tired, I couldn't keep my eyes open. Do you know the Spirit of God does not have that problem? He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always making intercession on your behalf. You don't know how to pray, that's okay. But do you have a desire to know him? Oh, if you've got a desire to know him, then the Spirit of God knows how to pray and intercede on your behalf. And he does it. He makes intercession for us with groanings that, are, that cannot be uttered. He searches the hearts and he knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, not according to your will, not according to my will. Thank the Lord. The Spirit of God on the inside of me is making intercession on my behalf, on your behalf, according to the will of God. What is the will of God for you, Christian? Paul tells us this is the will of God. Who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is your destiny to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. How are you going to make that happen? I got news for you, good news. You're not going to make that happen. But God is going to make that happen on your behalf by the Spirit that dwells on the inside of you, by the Spirit that makes intercession for you continually according to the will of God. What's the will of God? That His children would be conformed to the image of the Son. And the more you become conformed to the image of the Son, guess what? The more you're going to know Him. And the more you know Him, the more you're going to be conformed to the image of the Son. And this is the work of the Spirit. And the love that's in the heart of the Father, guess what? That love's going to be in your heart. Why? Because he's poured out love in your heart by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. And you'll find yourself able to love the unlovable and do the unthinkable. It's not automatic. See, some of us think it should be automatic. It's a process. 
The scripture says he makes all things beautiful in his time. And here's the hope. Say, well, what, what, what about me? What's the part I play? And then, well, I'll just be honest. I'm just going to speak for myself. I usually screw things up, okay? But here's the comfort I have. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Have you messed something up lately? Have you failed lately? Have you fallen down lately? Here's the good news. God, 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 God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why? That you might be conformed to the image of his son. Hope is resurrected. Hope is resurrected. And as often as you want to kill hope, God will resurrect it again. Because you can't keep it down. Why? Because you couldn't keep the Savior down. Because he is risen. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. This world could not hold him. The sin of man could not hold him in the grave. He overcame sin. He overcame death. He overcame and hope is resurrected. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you that our Savior is risen. We don't serve a dead Savior, a dead Redeemer. We don't serve a man who just simply gave his life for us out of the goodness of his heart. But we see Jesus who suffered and died for us. We see Jesus who was buried and put away for us. We see Jesus who was raised, resurrected for us. We see hope. We thank you, God, that you are the author of hope. That you're not just something or someone we put our hope in. But you have given hope to us. And we possess hope because hope possesses us. And I pray today, God, for any Lord, in some ways, I believe it should be all of us who could say, I have failed, and I have failed repeatedly. I had hope, but I lost hope. And I'm afraid to hope again, because I know myself all too well. I'll just fail, and I'll fall again. Lord, I believe that's what the Apostle Peter did. I believe that's why he went back to fishing. But Lord, you didn't allow him to stay in his state of hopelessness and despair. You went to him and you resurrected hope in his life because you revealed yourself once again to him as the resurrected Savior and Redeemer. And you affirmed to him as you do with us all, 
your love for us. And I ask you today, Father, that you would take our simplest, our most basic desire for you, our just very basic desire that would say, God, I want you, but I don't know if you want me. Even in our fear and insecurities, God, I pray that you would take that basic desire and you would resurrect hope in our hearts. And I pray, God, that you would fill us with hope, anchor us in your hope, that we would become a people, God, a people filled with hope that could go out and offer hope to those who are struggling in this world because they do not know the author of hope, because they do not know you, God. I pray, Father God, that you would by your Spirit do these things, that you would be glorified in our lives and through our lives, that the world would see your church as your people living in your love, and they would know We are your disciples. We are so very thankful, Father, that you sent the Son. Lord Jesus, we are so very thankful for your obedience walking that road. We are so very thankful that today we serve a risen Savior. And we know that, and we revel in that, and we celebrate that. And we have hope that does not disappoint because you have poured your love. Indeed, God, you have poured yourself into our hearts by your spirit that you have given to us. And for that, we are so very thankful. And we say thank you, Lord. And all God's children said, Amen.